0: Welcome to Now Playing's GI Joe movie retrospective series. GI Joe is there. Mission is a go. I say again, the mission is a go. Hosted by Jerry. I'll, I'll, I'll make you proud. You'll see, Arnie. He's a real American hero. And Jacob. Hey, my three favorite people. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Ay caramba! Listener discretion is advised. Let's get to work. The world ain't saving itself. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fights won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. American
1: hero. G.I. Today we're discussing G.I. Joe, the movie, starring Don Johnson, Burgess Meredith, Robert Remus, and directed by Don Jerwich. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. Other hosts, introduce yourself. This I command.
2: This is Jacob, a real American podcaster. I'll fight for freedom wherever there's podcasting. Jerry is here. Hey guys, Jerry. Hello. It's been so long since the last time we were discussing Hasbro
1: toys. At now playing.
3: <laughs> yes, we missed the Battleship retrospective, so you had to wait for GI
1: Joe. Uh, maybe when Monopoly the movie comes out. <laughs>
2: That'd be Wall Street 3, right? Yeah.
1: But yes, Jerry is back because you're the fan of G.I. Joe, and much like Transformers, you came to me and are like, Arnie,
2: we have to do Joe. Yeah, that's right, and at first I was really upset about the new movie getting delayed, but its delay allowed us to be able to fit it in, so I'm really happy to be a part of it. And I'm glad you're here, because
1: I know growing up in the 80s, us members of Gen X all seem to look back fondly, at least from my anecdotal experience, on Star Wars, Transformers, He-Man, and G.I. Joe. But of all of those, I can say I've never owned a single G.I. Joe figure in my life. Blasphemy. I don't believe you. Wow.
2: No way.
1: Yeah. My friend around the corner had some, and I collected Star Wars, and I looked at his G.I. Joes, and I'm like, those things look so cheap with their screws and the rubber bands in the middle. I don't want these trash. I want my Star Wars.
3: That's funny, Arnie, because that's the exact reason I gave up Star Wars for G.I. Joe. You could bend their elbows and their knees. This became my action figure of choice as a kid. I remember my first Joe. It was Grunt. I could go through almost all the G.I. Joe figures I ever had. Love these figures because they had articulation.
2: It always comes down to articulation. You know, guys, it was weird for me... After Star Wars kind of died off, I got into Transformers from a toy collecting perspective. And my parents were kind of like, hey, pick one. Are you you a Transformers guy or a G.I. Joe kid? And I chose Transformers. Now, there was one Christmas where I got like six or seven G.I. Joe figures, but that was it. I watched the show religiously. Loved the show. Was really into the characters. And it wasn't actually until 1992 until I started collecting the action figures because at that time, Hasbro was bringing all the old characters back to shelves in different uniforms so you could buy a Duke and a Snake Eyes and a Storm Shadow, Cobra Commander. You know, they're all out again. So as a senior in high school, I had a little money I could pay for a $3 action figure here and there, and I actually started collecting them in the early 90s. I will admit, I watched the show.
1: I was big into Transformers for a year or two. And it was the Transformers G.I. Joe hour. The two were both Hasbro toys, although I didn't put that together as a kid. I knew they were both toys. But they were coming from the same film company, used a lot of the same voice actors. And I enjoyed the plots. I remember one arc actually frightening me as a young child. I think it was the Weather Dominator arc where Snake Eyes outfit became irradiated. And I was all scared of radioactivity being, you know, a kid afraid of nukes in the 80s and he had to burn it, and he was holed up in Alaska in some blind man's cave. It's all very weird, (laughs) but it freaked the hell out of me as a kid. I thought he was going to die of cancer.
3: I had a similar experience. There was an episode, I think it's shipwreck, and he goes home, and like all (laughs) the people are clay and melt. Scared the hell out of me, but I loved it.
2: That's actually the show, Arnie, I thought you were going to say. The melting people is always kind of a weird one for people to take as kids. And by the way, the Snake Eyes radiation thing, that was the mass device, not the Weather Dominator. Just saying.
1: Okay, well, thank you, because I actually (laughs) want to revisit it and laugh at my childhood self for being afraid. And while I never owned G.I. Joe toys, I always admired them for a couple of things. First of all, they actually had figures come with their vehicles. As a Star Wars fan... I'd buy a TIE Fighter, and then I'd need a TIE Fighter pilot. And that meant convincing my mom to buy two toys. G.I. Joe, I remember as a kid thinking they did it right. Their toys come with a guy. The other thing, that aircraft carrier that the commercial actually showed mom putting under the bed. Because you have to tell parents where the kids are going to put this thing. (laughs) That is still, to this date, perhaps the most awesome toy ever, just in sheer size. And the third thing is I remember seeing the ads when watching Transformers, He-Man and Joe, that there were figures of real characters. Sergeant Slaughter, he was a figure from WWE. They'd have Sergeant Slaughter on the commercial, the human being talking about his toy. The fridge. Yes, I was about to go there. (laughs) The refrigerator Perry, the Bears Super Bowl shuffle football player. He had a figure. And that always made me kind of think, Yeah, that adds reality to G.I. Joe.
3: Yes, reality, something I often connect with G.I. Joe. I know a few years ago, I think it was 2008, was their 25th anniversary, and they kind of re-released figures on the vintage-style cards, which got me collecting again. Arnie, you say Jerry prompted you to do this retrospective? Look, you'll hear my opinions about G.I. Joe the movie and G.I. Joe the Rise of Cobra, but I'm still excited to do this retrospective. I wanted to do this retrospective as soon as I saw that trailer that came out. How long ago now? A year and a half or whatever since the delay. I'm excited for this new G.I. Joe movie. Like Even The Rise of Cobra came out. I was excited before I had seen it because there is a childhood love for this character. Like This is the toy I associate with my childhood. When there's some big promotion around G.I. Joe, I do get excited. I'm a lapse fan. I don't keep up with it all. I'm sure, Jerry, you could outname every character and I'm sure you own a lot more DVDs. I own one. I own one special of G.I. Joe. That's it. I haven't revisited the cartoon lately. So it's not something I'm still hardcore into, but it's something that does get me excited as a fan from my childhood.
1: And for me, I will admit to being optimistic about this upcoming G.I. Joe movie, despite its delays. I think the trailers look good. I'm excited to talk with you guys about it, but... I've never seen the movie we're going to discuss tonight, G.I. Joe the Movie, so I am definitely the newest of all of us to G.I. Joe, and I'm going to be looking to both of you and Jerry specifically to explain some things to me or remind me of some things I've forgotten.
2: Yeah, I mean, guys, I'm the all-in G.I. Joe guy. I mean, I have close to 500 G.I. Joe figures in my collection, partly from a collection I acquired from someone just about two years ago. I acquired an entire vintage collection from pretty much every figure from 82 to 86, which just highlighted my collection room now. So I'm all in. I watched Valor versus Venom. I've watched G.I. Joe Renegades, which is a really good show, by the way. I've watched the second cartoon series by Deke, Shaw Factory has that on DVD. I eat all this stuff up. It's not all good, but you know, I just love these characters, and I'll darn near buy anything with them on it.
1: Let me start by asking a very basic question here, because I think everybody is pretty much familiar, and if they're not, they can go to Wikipedia, but G.I. Joe started as 12-inch dolls in the 60s and then became this three-and-three-quarter-inch action figure. The only Joe I'm familiar with is the G.I. Joe universe from that 80s cartoon. Now, I know when we talked about Transformers, there was G1 continuity, G2 continuity, comic book continuity, Beast Wars continuity. Where did this... G.I. Joe come from where it's a band of stereotypes all with a single ability.
2: Well, as you mentioned, Hasbro obviously had the G.I. Joe figures, which were quite literally the first action figures. It was because they had the action soldier and the action sailor and the action pilot or whatnot that the term action figure was even coined from. So going into the 70s, late 60s, the Vietnam War, this whole army man type toy really wasn't doing it anymore, so they morphed into the adventure team in the 70s. I think Hasbro made the toys through like 76, 77, and there's a little bit of a lull. Enter Star Wars. Star Wars with the three and three quarter inch action figures from Kenner. Hasbro said, hey, you know what? G.I. Joe, the property, the trademark name's been gone a while. Let's bring it back and do something else with it. The folks at Hasbro just by coincidence ran into some people at Marvel started talking about the idea, and Marvel's like, hey, you know what? We think we can come up with a concept for you. And boom, the G.I. Joe, a real American hero, is what resulted out of that. So the G.I. Joe, real American hero that we kind of know today, even the cartoon, you know, the cartoon actually came technically a year later after the comics, but it really wasn't a going series for about three years after the comics started. So it was really the Marvel creations that gave that Hasbro toy line life.
3: Wow, I had no idea. So it was actually the comics came first here.
2: Yes, because if you recall in the early 80s, you couldn't have a cartoon based on a toy line. You just couldn't do it. You couldn't create that intentional 30-minute commercial for toys. Yeah, it was an FCC r- regulation. President Reagan took care of that, which I'm sure was from the lobbying of the toy industry, because you know, the action figure market just blew up with, you know, what do you have? Masters of the Universe, G.I. Joe, Thundercats, Transformers. I mean, everything blew up in the 80s because of this. So when G.I. Joe started, it really only had the comic for a solid year, maybe a year and a half, was the only basis for what G.I. Joe was. It wasn't until nineteen eighty-three, late nineteen eighty-three, that the Marvel Sunbow Productions did the first G.I. Joe A Real American Hero, which was a five-part miniseries, but you can kind of think about it as the original film. And a year later they did another one, and they actually didn't start the ongoing show till eighty-five. Was that after the Mass Generator? Yeah, the Mass Device was the first five-part miniseries from 83.
1: Okay, that explains why I was scared, because that would have put me at age (laughs) seven, so I'm okay with that then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which is why Snake Eyes looked goofy, Baroness looked goofy, those were like one-of-a-kind appearances, until they started looking a little bit more how you'd probably know them best from the action figure line.
1: When did this movie come out, then? If you say the series started proper in 85, how many years into it was this movie?
2: Well, to give you a brief history of the show. When they started the ongoing series in 85, they actually made 55 episodes that ran, you know, September of 85 through, I don't know, January of 86, what have you. Cause they played the shows every day. So they had a lot of shows in, in the pipeline to do, you know, a new show every Monday through Friday. And then in 86 was series two. That kicked off with the Rise, Soprento, or Rise. And then this movie came out in 87. Keep in mind though, This movie was supposed to come out before Transformers. And when did Transformers come out? Transformers came out in 86. But they had some production delays, couldn't get it out in time, etc., etc. So they went ahead and pushed forward Transformers to come out. Which there's a lot of irony in all that, by the way. Which we can talk about a little bit later when we get into, like, what happens to Duke in this movie. The series proper was kind of short-lived. So this was after the series was over that
1: this movie came out? It was kind of the denouement?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was intended for this to bridge seasons two and three, but then season three never happened. A different production company, Deke, did a new G.I. Joe series in 1989, ran two seasons, 89, 90, that sort of undid some of the things that we're going to talk about here <laughs> to try just, you know, to return everything back to Cobra Commander and Destro and just Cobra being Cobra.
1: Instead of Cobra, fa-la-la, la <laughs> la
2: Exactly.
3: <laughs> So we got a bit of a history. Arnie, why don't you give us a bit of a plot?
1: Evil paramilitary organization Cobra is in disarray. Leadership of the group is in contention, with the group's original ruler, Cobra Commander, still upset about his demotion when his underlings use DNAs of history's best warriors to build a new, better leader, Serpentor. Despite the new leadership... Cobra has been no more effective in their sorties against Joe, and Cobra Commander wants to be put back in power. In the midst of this, a new agent infiltrates Cobra, Pythona, a representative of the ancient civilization Cobra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la! She breaks into Cobra headquarters and reveals that Galobulus, leader of Cobra-la, is Serpentor's true creator, having used dream manipulation on Dr. Mindbender to guide Serpentor's birth. More- We find out Globulus is also the creator of Cobra. Cobra Law has lived in secret for millennia while the Earth was ruled by man. But Globulus wanted Cobra Law to become the dominant species on Earth through the annihilation of all humanity. Cobra Commander was actually a citizen of Cobra Law, not a human being at all. And Globulus ordered Cobra Commander to go out in the world and build an army to annihilate humanity. No longer pulling strings behind the scenes, Globulus has a new plot to destroy the humans. He has plants capable of launching into orbit, releasing spores that will devolve all life on Earth, allowing Cobra Law to once again rule the planet. But to launch the plants, Globulus needs the Broadcast Energy Transmitter, BET for short, a limitless energy device developed by the Joes. Meanwhile, the Joes have been training several new recruits, most notably the womanizing rogue Lieutenant Falcon, Joe leader Duke's rebellious half-brother, voiced by Don Johnson, slumming it when he's at his Miami Vice High. Falcon's disobedience allows Serpentor, captured in an earlier battle, to escape Joe captivity, and Duke saves Falcon from court-martial, so Falcon is sent to train under Sergeant Slaughter, with other troublesome Joe recruits. Falcon and the other renegades infiltrate the Terror Drome and discover Cobra's plot to steal the BET, and they race back to Joe headquarters, but Cobra attacks. Serpentor attacks Falcon, and to save his half-brother's life, Duke jumps in the path of Serpentor's snake spear and falls into a coma. The Joes, especially all the new recruits, attack Cobra Law to reclaim the BET and stop the deadly spores. Joe is victorious, but Globulus succeeds in launching the spores. Falcon uses the BET to fry the plants while still in space, saving all humanity. Back at Joe base, the new recruits are now firmly part of the team, and we're
2: told Duke will be okay as credits roll. Oh, wow. Just for all the G.I. Joe fans out there listening to this, I really lobbied hard among the Now Playing staff to let's start with the mass Device and the Weather Dominator Revenge of Cobra. Let's start with that just so we don't start with this. <laughs> but this is the movie.
1: Yeah, you're trying to get us to do TV. We don't do TV at Now Playing. <laughs> We only do things that were either made for theaters, like this was made for theaters and the Fantastic Four Roger Corman movie was made for theaters, or shown in a
2: theater somewhere in Timbuktu. <laughs> Which we have a reason to believe this might have played in Poland. Yes. And I'm not making that up. <laughs> Until you all can prove otherwise.
1: IMDb is cagey with its Polish listings for G.I. Joe the movie. So there's a possibility of theatrical release. But yeah, this was made as a theatrical release. And as you mentioned, problems with Transformer the movie and My Little
2: Pony the movie made this end up a direct-to-video release. Well, no, wait but To be fair, My Little Pony never officially had any problems. It just was victim to Transformers. It might have been a fine movie. I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we weren't going to do TV half-hour episodes any more than we did any individual Hulk episodes. We did none. But this was a movie. This was intended to be a movie. And yes, Transformers the movie is going to be the comparison I make to G.I. Joe the movie the whole way through. Because my whole mindset, knowing this was developed at the same time as Transformers, by the same company as Transformers, and yet its release marred and its plot slightly changed as a result of fan reaction to Transformers, That's going to be my comparison. So, listeners, you can head to the Now Playing Podcast archives to hear Jerry Stewart and I discuss Transformers, the movie. But this whole time, what's going through my mind is how does this compare to the Transformers?
3: Well, I know you talked a bit about the music in Transformers. We get a new theme song here. What
2: blows me away about the opening of this, it's all about Cobra, this song. Cobra! Cobra! (laughs) And as many G.I. Joe fans like to call it, this is G.I. Joe the musical. This? The
1: movie?
2: No, no, just this opening. Oh, okay. Because it has zero to do with the movie, in fact was actually produced after the fact. I never got these details exactly, but sort of, I think once they realized that, hey, we're just going to put this on TV, so let's give it like a TV-like opening, but let's make it big, because this is the movie. They created this after the fact.
3: I got to tell you, if they would have had a battle on the Statue of Liberty with jetpacks and all that, I might be into this movie. Yes, (laughs) this is very cartoony and just crazy, but I kind of love it. I mean, this to me is G.I. Joe. Duke with his jetpack, shooting cobra off the top of the statue of liberty
2: this is the best part of the movie i'll say it right now
1: i'll agree that this is actually really good one of the big complaints i had about transformers the movie was there were too many damn characters well here this is basically a montage where you don't need to know a single character but i'm looking and there's characters who i could name there's characters that i'm like i kind of know that guy There's characters who I couldn't say I've ever seen before in this big action. The now playing plot summary person in me is wondering what this has to do with anything. But it's the right way to give everybody their favorite character doing something action-packed. And what better place for a fight than the Statue of Liberty? I have no idea what's going on and what Cobra hopes to gain by blowing it up, but they're just evil. It is a cartoon. And I'm thinking this is actually already better than anything I saw in Transformers the movie.
2: No, Arnie, don't don't make me fight now. Not over this, but don't be dissing Transformers now.
1: No, I'm going to be dissing Transformers, so we're going <laughs> to fight. But now that what you're telling me about this production, Jerry, answers a lot of questions I had. Because it's an exciting way to bring people in. You say a TV entry, but to me it's a good hook to get the kids seeing all their favorite characters, who they will never see again this whole movie, so it's good to get this out of the way, and move into the plot. And that's where things start to get a little bit more fuzzy, because we start with Cobra, and Cobra Commander's pissed he's not in charge. Now, I do remember a little bit about the Serpentor thing. I think it was an ad for the toy that told the whole story about how they circled the globe and got the DNA of Genghis Khan and all these people to create Serpentor, the world's most deadly ruler with the most deadly fashion sense as he wears a big snake head.
2: But why is Cobra Commander not Commander of Cobra? You actually summarize it pretty well. In the comics and the TV series, both, there are different versions of it, but ultimately what it came down to was that within Cobra, they wanted stronger leadership. In the comics, it was actually a little bit more Cobra Commander, just wanted the ultimate soldier, and it had turned into someone who could usurp his power, but we won't get into that too much, because this movie's tied to the show. So what happened in the show was, is that Dr. Mindbender and Destro conspired to say, Cobra Commander is very incompetent, costs us battle after battle, stupid decisions, cowardice, what have you. Let's go make a leader. And even in that five-part series, which was entitled Arise, Serpentor, Arise, Dr. Mindbender actually has these visions and a dream They really go into detail this in the first episode of that little mini-series of Dr. Mindbender having a dream about how DNA can be manipulated to create this ultimate ruler that'll bring Cobra to victory. Which was actually a little connection I missed when we get introduced to Cobra Law, we actually make reference to this later.
3: All these Cobra cronies, Dr. Mindbender, Baroness, Destro, they're like in love with Serpentor, it seems. Like, they are willing to throw Cobra Commander under 16 different buses. (laughs) Were allegiances, like, that defined before? Because this seems, like, almost over the top. Dude, this guy used to command you, and now you're just, like, leaving him out to dry.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Marvel Comics series was just riddled over and over again about who was trying to take over Cobra Commander. Even in the TV series, Destro was darn near a bully to Cobra Commander, and Cobra Commander was pretty much a joke with some of the stupid things that he was trying to do in the name of world domination. So, why they're having a conference about it specifically here, you give it to it, it's the movie, but no, there's nothing here going on that's out of character. I mean, especially in that Season 2, which started off with them creating Serpentor, Cobra Commander spent the majority of Season 2 trying to get his power back unsuccessfully.
1: So the voice of Starscream basically became Starscream.
2: Yes. If you want to play a game, make a list between Transformers the movie and G.I. Joe the movie and the similarities. I mean, you know, Falcon's Rodimus Prime, you know, Cobra Law's sort of Unicron, and quite literally, what happens to Starscream in the 86 Transformers movie is pretty much what happens to... Cobra Commander, and yes, they're both voiced by the late, great Chris Lotta.
3: Wow, Cobra Commander seemed even more shrill in this film than I remember him. I don't know if he's always that high-pitched and screechy and scratchy, but
1: man, his voice grates (laughs) on me here.
2: (laughs) Well, he was once a man. Was he?
1: (laughs) That was one of the big mysteries about G.I. Joe, the TV show, is that Cobra Commander always wore a mask. And I will admit... Destro behind a mask Cobra Commander behind a mask I bought one G.I. Joe comic book as a kid Just hoping I don't know why I would hope this But hoping that picking up one random issue of a comic Would explain to me their entire backstories And let me see what it is they're hiding under that mask Did the comics ever say what's under the mask Or is this movie going to be the first time we find out What's under Cobra Commander's mask
2: There was at least one comic that was supposed to be the unmasking Of Destro and Cobra Commander, but it was really just, they took their masks off to put on disguises because they were trying to escape, so you never really saw their real faces. You know, that's kind of the Marvel thing, right? You know, what's really weird is that the origins that you get for Cobra Commander here in this movie is unlike anything you've seen anywhere else. I mean, in the Marvel comics, he was a used car salesman who just kind of (laughs) was megalomaniacal, who just really just was a con man and had a family and a son and a wife and left them. Did he wear a mask when he sold cars? No, 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 he was just a normal dude. Now, you never saw this. I mean, this was just kind of the flashback storytelling, he never really saw it, but you later learn that he's just kind of a normal dude who went just a little nutty and, you know, he entered the city of Springfield. I mean, if you've been around G.I. Joe folklore for a long time, you know, Springfield, it's just like in The Simpsons, it's anywhere and it's nowhere. That's kind of where he started Cobra. He was just a an anarchist, for lack of better words. Certainly nothing in the comics about a Cobra law or, or anything like that. In the cartoon, you know, all the seasons prior to this, you know darn near nothing about his origins. And it certainly wasn't anything of him being some non-human-like character.
1: Okay, because that was
2: one of the things
1: that I had questions about.
3: Well, we do get hints that he's going to have a different origin here because a snake lady or lizard lady, Pythona, shows up. I don't know where she hides all these creatures. She's got, like, sea urchins and leeches in her cape that she's tossing <laughs> out as she breaks into the drone
1: Yeah, and the drone terridrome- about as secure as a 7-Eleven, isn't it? Anyone can just break in.
3: You named something the terror drum, though. Like, that name should scare you off. You shouldn't need a whole lot of security.
1: It was obvious she was a female, right? It wasn't just me here. Everybody could tell that even though they're saying, get him, I'm like, that's a chick.
2: Oh, it's definitely a chick. Yeah. Just when they first see her or the intruder, I'm sure they're, you know, they're Cobra. They're bad guys. They assume everything the wrong way.
1: Bad guys
3: and sexists.
2: Yeah, yeah. Couldn't possibly be a girl. I mean, we only have the Baroness anyway.
1: No, they have, apparently, Zartana, the sister of (laughs) Zartan. Or Zartan is such a master of disguise, he can cross-dress and get away with it. I'm still not quite sure. (laughs) But she breaks in and instantly retcons, or perhaps fulfills the story about Serpentor's creation, that he wasn't created just by Mindbender, but by Globulus, and that the Cobras need to steal this B.E.T. from the Joes. We shouldn't be surprised there's a B.E.T.
3: Isn't G.I. Joe known for its acronyms? Like, you could have a HISS tank, but H.I.S. is like an acronym, right? Yes. That's just how the way things work here. So this B.E.T., it's an unlimited source of energy that just shoots out and it's going to solve the world's energy problem. And I do love, like, the Joes are really concerned about this because they don't want to waste a billion taxpayer dollars. Like, dude we've been fighting over a, a budget that's like trillions and like they're worried about a billion what's that we, we could have one of these in every home these are the Joes they're
1: more fiscally responsible
2: and it's 1986 I mean come on but it's funny about that Jacob you know one thing I can't ever get over and you know when I was a kid watching this and I never questioned it but now when I go back and watch the show I still enjoy it I mean I still love GI Joe don't get me wrong but it is funny to see how these military people are the ones who are the scientific geniuses behind operating it there's no scientists. There's no engineers. There's no, it's just, no, give it to G.I. Joe. They'll get the thing started up.
3: Well, they give it to whatever Joe it is that does computers, right? He's like messing with the circuit board.
2: (laughs) Yeah, mainframe or dial tone, whichever one it was I was actually operating. Yeah, he's like G.I. Joe IT support. (laughs) But here's where I
1: start to get a little bit lost because we're introduced to a ton of new Joe recruits. And I'm going to just state right now my thesis I understand that this movie, like the Transformers movie before it, is here to sell us toys. And in fact, it's here to sell us a new line of toys, a new product model's year of toys. And with Transformers, I think because they're robots, I can go with it a little bit more. But here, we are introduced to way too many characters. I can take Pythona and her people, but we just get slammed as soon as we get... To Joe headquarters with Jinx Lawn
2: Order Bib Lob Tunnel Rat and Chuckles. Yeah, the Raw Hides.
3: <laughs> These were new toys, right? This is like their introduction?
2: Well, it, kinda. Big Lob actually never got a toy. The other ones did, but not the basketball player. Why not? The Fridge got one. They couldn't find an actual
1: sports star to mold a likeness after. Kareem wouldn't sell his likeness. You know if this was five years later, it would totally be Michael Jordan, right? I mean, he was doing (laughs) Space Jam. He had his own cartoon. Oh, this is Shaq all over. You know, he's doing Shaq Fu for the
2: G.I. Joe.
1: There's so many of them. I can't even figure out what Chuckles is. Is he the stand-up
2: comedian of the Joes? I mean, his name's Chuckles. He appears to be really strong. Yeah, he's supposed to be the big strong dude. What's funny is that, you know, Jinx, Tunnel Rat, Chuckles, you know, these are characters that have actually been used a lot, Jinx especially, who have actually been used a lot in post-G.I. Joe, the movie-type folklore, from everything from, you know, other comics when Devil's Do and IDW took over the license to, you know, things like the G.I. Joe Renegades cartoon, Tunnel Rat was actually one of the main characters of that show.
3: I can see why you'd want to make Jinx a main character. For One of the things that sticks out to me for G.I. Joe is ninjas. I mean, Storm Shadow, Snake Eyes. We have the black and white ninjas. Let's throw a little color in there. Let's get Jinx. The bad luck ninja? (laughs) That has to cover her (laughs) eyes up. She's only good when she's blind.
2: That's what happens when you go to a ninja master who's blind. He can only teach you to fight blind. Yeah, that whole eyesight just throws you off. <laughs> but in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about Jinx probably a little bit more.
1: And then, can somebody explain to me Tunnel Rat?
2: Tunnel Rat's sort of the underground, sneak-in, explosive kind of guy and... That's a skill. That's a specialty. First time we see him, he jumps into the sewers to find an alternate way around the problem. That's just kind of his thing. Hold up. It wasn't
3: like digging tunnels a big thing in Vietnam and where you'd have to send soldiers in these tunnels to dig out the Viet Cong and they make this dude, the tunnel rat, an Asian? <laughs> I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but there's a lot of stereotypes with these characters.
1: More, if he's the explosives guy, why does law own Order, the explosive retrieving dog. Wouldn't Tunnel Rat own the dog? I mean, Tunnel Rat in Order isn't
2: quite as catchy. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head right there. What makes a good little catchphrase to sell a toy?
3: I remember I had Mutton Junkyard, which was a dog and human trio, but I guess this is the new, younger, hip version of it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but the big one is, of course, Falcon, and we know this because he sounds just like that guy from Miami Vice. He gets
3: top billing, or at least the voice actor does. So this is a totally new character for this movie.
2: Yes. Yes. Totally brand new. I don't know why he looks exactly like Flint, but yes, he's a, he's a brand new character. First introduced here and kind of concurrently. I mean, the the comics was about the same time, but yeah, this is a a brand new incarnation. He's Duke's half brother. We come to find out. And he, it's kind of interesting. You see a little bit of the dynamics too that he's actually a lieutenant and his brother is a sergeant, but in G.I. Joe rank actually doesn't matter like that.
3: Obviously, I mean, you got Bazooka, who's just wearing a football jersey while he goes out and fights terrorists.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, see, a wide receiver is above a corporal. Yes.
1: <laughs> and Big Lob, it is basketball jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're one step away from Klinger in the dress. <laughs> I'm just confused at this point because
3: I thought these were new recruits. But if you're a lieutenant, like I don't know all the military ranks, but lieutenant, that's high up. Are these new recruits? Are they just new recruits for the Joes from other military yes. outfits? So Big Lob was, like, with the Navy or something before this.
1: They recruit from the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Nicks.
2: Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. If you followed the comics, almost all 155 issues of the Marvel comic run was written by a guy by the name of Larry Hama, who created 99% of this stuff. And he has a military background. He wrote things to be a little bit more sensible, but you could certainly tell with the influence of a toy company. is like, no, 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 write him out and put this person there. We want to make the toys of him. And, you know, he wrote all the file cards, etc., etc. He's like the guru of G.I. Joe fiction. I mean, you, you see in the TV show, Shipwreck got into G.I. Joe because they found him in a bar and he helped him escape. And suddenly he's a G.I. Joe member. So, who can get in and out of G.I. Joe is a little loose in the TV series. So, yeah, why not bring in the basketball guy? But Falcon is supposed to be
1: are in. We're supposed to really like Falcon, right? We're supposed to want him to be the new leader. We're supposed to be able to see him. And yes, as you say, there are some parallels here to Rodimus Prime Hot Rod from the Transformers movie, where he starts off without the responsibility to lead and ends up a leader. But here, Falcon is a real jerk who
2: causes a lot of trouble. Yeah, if we're supposed to like Falcon at first then they did a really bad job. I think we're supposed to dislike Falcon as much as anybody because of how disrespectful he is, and you see him go through the transformation to be somebody pretty respectable at the end. What was supposed to happen, though, to your point, Arnie, is that he's supposed to become the new leader of G.I. Joe. Just like you said, he's hot rod right now, and he'll soon become Rodimus Prime after Duke gets killed. That's what was supposed to happen. Here's the irony. The decision to kill Duke came first, And then on the Transformers side, it's like, hey, that's pretty daring. And we're going to do that to Optimus Prime, too. Of course, Transformers went out. That was out first. That was the big reason why people rejected it. And then G.I. Joe said, well, maybe we won't kill Duke.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely talk about Duke's demise or lack thereof a little later on. But it's Falcon's fault that most things happen in this film. Because when Falcon is away... Is the first attack of Cobra against the Joes, and the Joes are very successful. They even capture Serpentor. And here we get a big Duke versus Serpentor fight. And again, it's in the early in the movie, and I'm taken back to Optimus versus Megatron, but there's no the touch, there's no the power, there's no magic. <laughs>
2: There are a handful of reused Transformer music bites here and there, but you're right. I mean, there's nowhere in the previous series where like Serpentor and Duke are necessarily like arch enemies. I mean, yeah, one's the leader of the good guys, one's the leader of the bad guys. I don't know if anyone, though, in the series, I can't remember, I didn't go back to watch all 30 episodes of season two, I don't know if anybody went fist to fist with Serpentor other than Sergeant Slaughter. So it was kind of cool to see Duke do that, and you could kind of tell he's overmatched and and You're right, Arnie. I mean, it's the typical thing that when Serpentor gets into a little trouble, Cobra Commander's there to, I mean, that's part of his character. And, of course, they're in the Himalayas, natural place to be, I suppose, to test energy equipment, what have you. And Cobra Commander takes us the opportunity to call the retreat and to abandon Serpentor.
1: And this was really confusing to me until they reveal that Cobra Commander has this secret history, and that's how he knew exactly where Cobra La was and to take everyone on a field trip. But was it coincidence that Joes just happened to be in the Himalayas, Cobra Law just happens to be based in the Himalayas, and Cobra Commander decides he's finally going to reveal Cobra Law to the leadership of Cobra after Pythona just happened to show up? I couldn't find causation between actions, and that was frustrating.
2: Yeah, I mean, they never alluded to it, but I mean, if if you wanted to help the movie along. You could certainly maybe put two and two together and say that, Hey, since the BET was there in the Himalayas, then Cobra Law would naturally be more aware of it. I don't gather they had the internet or any satellites to actually know of its existence any other way.
3: Well, they would have had mind reading bugs or something because they only use organic materials. They hate technology.
2: And they have these super bugs.
1: Why did they need to go to wherever the terror drone is? Understand. All right. Cobra Law is in the Himalayas. The BET is in the Himalayas. Cobra Law has this super strong, super army of super bugs. Plus, they have Nemesis Enforcer, this flying, super strong badass. But (laughs) instead of using their super bug army and Nemesis Enforcer to go across the street and steal the BET, they go all the way from the Himalayas to the Terradrome and tell the incompetent boobs to come back to the Himalayas and get the BET.
2: Do we know where the Terror pterodrome is? Is that ever established? Not exactly. I mean, there have been some times where Joes triangulate the information, and I think they kind of show it to you on a globe, but it's not like it's a very specific location.
3: It's so it's not close to the Himalayas, then?
2: Definitely <laughs> not. I mean, if anything else, it's, it's normally in, like, the jungle areas or something where it's fairly isolated. More importantly, snakes,
1: cold-blooded creatures, they go to the Himalayas... They go to sleep for a really long time. Why is this where Cobra La hangs out?
3: <laughs> These writers were not zoologists. That's like the most basic thing. Snakes, cold blood—you gotta have heat. I-, I thought maybe they wanted the BET because they were so damn cold <laughs> and they wanted to warm up.
1: And maybe they needed Cobra's troops because they couldn't move because they were <laughs> frozen. Yeah, we need to help the writers a lot. But you know what? I make a little bit of jokes here. But overall, I'm not minding this too much. You want movies to raise stakes. You want movies to go farther and explain things. I kind of felt Transformers was too much by our new toys. Here, as I've said already, I bought a comic book because I wanted to know what was behind Cobra Commander's mask. And here we have it. Here is laid bare Cobra Commander's history for the fans. I may not like his history, I may not understand his history, but I'm glad they gave me one.
3: Arnie, you could say you're glad they raised stakes. No, they impel the story through some stakes. (laughs) You cannot be happy with what you're given. You might have want this theoretically, but you see the answer here. They're not even all snakes. Like, Pythona has claws. Globulus, I don't know. He's, like, floating around in a pod nemesis enforcer i don't even get that name that's not a name those are adjectives
1: and he's a angel i don't know he's got wings he did remind me of archangel from the x-men i will say that that's what i kept thinking
2: enforcer is a noun actually but so is nemesis
1: technically
2: well yeah true true
3: The way they use it, though, it doesn't sound like that's a name. Like, Nemesis Enforcer (laughs) is just a weird name to give a child. That's all I'm saying.
2: It's like naming your bad guy, bad guy, though. He's Nemesis. And and are you right. I mean, it's raising the stakes, but I'm totally with you, Jacob. It's taking G.I. Joe to a place where it doesn't belong. You know, it's kind of sci-fi in the sense that they have a lot of gadgets and and technology that may not truly exist in the real world, but they shoot laser guns because they can't have bullets, blah, 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 blah. But this is going into some weird Thundercats, Lord of the Rings fantasy. This is a G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe's not fantastical like this. What is it, though? I'm confused because they say that
1: they're this ancient race who went into... I'm going to say this. I watched the movie twice. But I'm going to ask to make sure I'm getting this correct. They were around before man, correct? Before we crawled out of lose the Cobra Law bug people ruled, yes? I think. Allegedly. Th- yes,
3: we were still cavemen when they had their civilization. We, as in, as if this actually happened.
1: And so, we started to evolve beyond cavemen, and these more advanced, technologically able civilization, rather than just kill us off while we're dumb and it's easy to do, hide for no apparent reason. Because the ice age ended and so they wanted to stay in the ice of the
2: Himalayas. I actually kind of gathered that it was the coming of the ice age that forced them into hiding for whatever reason and that then cavemen rose up. Why they were hiding. It's like it's kind of explained by Burgess Meredith's character, Globulus. You know, welcome back, Mr. Meredith. But it's explained, but it makes no sense. It's like a here's the premise because we kind of feel like we have to give you a premise of like, you know, where have you guys been for the last four seasons, 95 episodes of this show. And so Cobra Commander
1: is not human. He was one of these Cobra Law people. And apparently he was some kind of botanist and got sprayed with the germs of a
2: spore, which gave him six eyes. Well, technically eight.
1: (laughs) So
3: he's
2: like a spider, not a snake.
3: (laughs) with Multiple (laughs) eyes.
2: Or a fly or something, yeah.
3: What I find funny is that Golobulus calls out Cobra Commander like, he was one of our best. And then they directly cut to him screwing up some science experiment.
2: <laughs> yeah, technologically advanced. He wasn't even wearing you know, like, safety glasses. I mean, come on, that is chemistry 101 is to cover your eyes. But again, I'm going to give
1: them props for showing us his face, showing us why he wears a mask, showing us why he extends his S's. In the most
3: literal way, though, like, this is, yes, if I was a child and writing G.I. Joe fan fiction, then yes, Cobra Commander would be a snake person. Yes, that is the obvious thing to do.
1: But they kind of did it anyway, right? I mean, he'd hiss, he'd extend his S's. It's what the show said. It's what I expected. The reason I wanted to see underneath the mask is because I wanted to see a snake man, and I was eight, but they gave an eight-year-old what he wanted here. If I was eight, I would have been jumping up and down happy. As an adult, yeah, I go, all right, they gave it to us. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to an adult, but to an
2: eight-year-old, this would rock. You know, it's one of the things that people always cite, though, is that you think about Cobra Commander, and there's kind of like two factions. Which mask do you prefer, the metal face or his hood? And G.I. Joe number one, he wore both.
1: I'll tell you. I'll take the hood, I'll take the mask, anything over that damn fishbowl we're going to talk about next week.
2: (laughs) But the thing is, when he's wearing the fabric hood or whatever, he's clearly not blue-skinned. So yeah, they did just make up a bunch of stuff on the fly. But then they go back, not to get
1: the BET, but to rescue Serpentor. And this is where Falcon's imbecilic nature reaches its peak, where not only do they finally have Serpentor captive after so long, but... Other Joes get captured, and Falcon is almost court-martialed.
2: Yeah, I mean, it all starts with really the first time we see Falcon in the movie, because he's not where he's supposed to be training with the rest of the Rawhides. He's actually bringing a date to G.I. Joe headquarters, or wherever, the, the prison where they're keeping Serpentor, and of course it's not just a date, it's Zartan's sister, Zarana who, actually, I thought kind of cute. She's carrying a camera, which is obvious, so Duke takes it. But, no, she's got a little camera in her earring, so she gets, I guess, the location, what the defenses are. So, yeah, Lieutenant Falcon is just the great A moron here.
3: Now, watching this, I knew this chick had to be a spy, and, of course, it's going to be Zorana, because she's the sister of Zartan, who's like the master disguise. I Remember, I had the toy. You would turn blue in the sunlight, and then you put him in the shade, and he turned turn flesh color, maybe the other way around. I gotta say, though, Zarana, I think this is where my love for punk rock and punk rock chicks spawned, because, like, <laughs> this may have been my, like, first cartoon crush as a little kid. Now, Arnie, I know you're not as familiar. Do you know about Zartan and the Dreadnoughts and, like, this whole group of Aussies? I think they're Australian
2: that show up all of a sudden. No. Well, they were actually in the show since 84. They were in that in The Revenge of Cobra, so they... Doesn't help me, Jerry. <laughs> Their mainstays. Zartan is like the dude Cobra Commander calls in when he needs something done and someone impersonated or infiltration of some sort. That's Zartan's shtick.
1: Yeah, I got that from the movie. It pretty much was self-evident that, hey, this is someone's favorite character, so let's give them five seconds of screen time and move on.
2: But you know, Arnie, you, you raise an interesting point. What I don't remember now myself is they go get Serpentor and they rescue him, and then at some point, go back to get the BET. I don't remember if the BET was at the same location that Serpentor was at anyway, but they at least prioritized to get Serpentor first. And if you really sit down and think about the timing of this movie, the events that are happening, like everything's still going on in the, the Himalayas, like it all happened in a couple days. But they go get Serpentor, we'll get into what Falcon does, and Serpentor goes back for the BET. These events had to have taken weeks And it all looks like it's happening simultaneous in the same 12-hour time period. So the time continuity of this movie is just all over the place.
3: It's the way they cut it, too. So you get the trial of Cobra Commander as he's put on trial at Cobra Law for reasons I'm still not sure. I guess he wasted Cobra Law resources by not defeating the world soon enough. But then they intercut that with Falcon's trial. Jacob, that's
2: obvious. Cobra Commander is on trial for failure.
3: Well, they should have brought him charges a lot sooner. This guy's been screwing up for a <laughs> while.
2: But they intercut these two trials.
3: I don't know what the timeline is here. Because by the time Falcon's on trial, Cobra's gone and they freed Serpentor. I would think Cobra Commander's trial could have happened a lot sooner because they didn't have to travel from the Himalayas and back. This is children's shortest attention span storytelling. Everything's just got to happen as fast as possible, and there really is no telling what the timeline is here.
1: And I'm starting to feel bad for even asking questions about logic on something that I just said would excite an eight-year-old kid, but then start applying adult logic. But shouldn't G.I. Joe know who they're recruiting? Should it be a big shock to the big brass at Joe headquarters that
2: Duke and Falcon are half-brothers? Shouldn't they, I don't know, have that on file? Well, he technically has a different last name, but, you would think.
3: This is the organization, we're counting on them to save the world against Cobra, the most feared terrorist organization. They don't know two dudes or half-brothers. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's just easy intel.
2: Well, I mean, clearly, General Hawk goes through, hey, you know, your record's been nothing but insubordination. And well, Then why is he on the list to join G.I. Joe?
3: I don't get why any of these rawhides are. They're all kind of
1: clumsy. Honestly, I wouldn't buy a single one of their toys. Not one of them. You tell me we're going to be talking about Jinx, I wouldn't buy Jinx. I might have bought Law & Order, not because I understand what the hell they do or why Order keeps bringing me the dynamite, but because I might like a toy of a dog. I certainly don't like Falcon. He doesn't fly. He has the very unimpressive codename, other than it's another bird, kind of like
2: Hawk. I get him confused with Flint, too. He's also clearly the least creative new character they've ever come up with because yeah, it's like change his face and the color scheme on the green beret outfit, but he's Flint. I remember in 1987 first watching this when it came on. It was kind of like a big deal. They are premiering this on a Friday night around here and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that Flint? No, wait a Don Johnson's doing Flint's voice. Oh, wait a minute. He's Falcon. Who's, well, okay. Okay. There's Flint. It was bad. It really wasn't anything to get excited about,
1: but Falcon in order to be reprogrammed, retrained, made to be good. Is sent off to Sergeant Slaughter. And this excited me because, again, I've mentioned <laughs> I knew there was a Sergeant Slaughter figure. Is this his debut in the cartoon? I thought I remembered him from the TV show.
2: Yes, that's absolutely right. No, no. He debuted in the Arise Serpentor Arise. He was brought in to put the G.I. Joe team back into shape, to like whip them back into fighting condition because they hadn't fought Cobra for a while. They got a little lax. Discipline was lost. So, sergeant slaughter came in and kind of saved the day he was always the bad dude of the bad dudes i mean he could whip any six or seven gi joes train them do whatever and so if you need to go fix a guy send him to sergeant slaughter i think he said something in the movie like this you're either going to get in line or you're going to die we're going to fix you one way or the other so yeah he has a history in the show he's the wrestling character that you know sergeant slaughter
3: i knew he came from the cartoon before this movie but the renegades this group that i guess he's training at guy that's ex-Cobra, one that's ex-NFL, but it's not the refrigerator, and then an ex-Circus Acrobat. like, these are made for new toys to sell, right?
2: Yeah, these are all three new characters. You kind of figure the whole slaughterhouse that they're sending Falcon there is people's last chance. You know, if Slaughter can't fix them, then just discharge them or imprison them or whatever. So, yeah, these are the three hard cases that are brand new characters. They made toys of them. So, Falcon's got to go work out with them.
1: Now, I understand... That the writers are given this unenviable task of write a cartoon that will appeal to the fans of the show, continue its storyline, and introduce X number of new characters. Here's the toys we want to sell. But when they introduce a second group of new recruits, I want to scream at
2: my screen.
3: (laughs) And a third line of new toys. I'm sure, didn't they come out with Cobra Law toys
2: as well? Yes, they made a three-pack of Golobulus without the pod, just his tail, Nemesis Enforcer, and one of the little bug guards. You see, I think if they hadn't been so constrained with so many new characters,
1: I would have loved it if we had the old Joes plus Falcon, our one new character, maybe Jenks as Falcon's love interest. And Cobra gets all these new people on their side. We're introduced to two new characters, but we're around some familiar ones. We give our old heroes a chance to shine, because my boy Snake Eyes don't do dick in this film. And then, when Falcon screws up terribly, he goes off and meets a new team, and here's where you put all the new characters. We will have had time to learn who the old characters are, plus these two new characters introduced. And then he goes off to the renegades and hell if you want to add a couple more renegades add a basketball player and add a chinese tunnel digger then go right ahead and do that too but improving that pacing would have really helped me keep straight who was who because i'm writing down names fast and furious and when they bring in the mentally handicapped acrobat i just throw down my pad
2: <laughs> i often wondered why they didn't just take all the raw hides And just make it collectively that they all screwed up the Serpentor thing, but mostly Falcon's fault and just send them all to Sergeant Slaughter because Beachhead can't handle them. Maybe there's too many of them, but these three guys that are already with Sergeant Slaughter, yeah, they get toys, but they are the most worthless, like non-entities in the G.I. Joe folklore. I don't know if they showed up anywhere else. They're probably in the comics because of. 155 issues, who wasn't? But it was certainly, here's a new character because we need to introduce the 1987
3: lineup. Artie, you say that this would be exciting for an 8-year-old. I'm trying to put myself back into how I would have been at this point, but I think I would have been upset with this cartoon. Who the hell are these new people? I want Snake Eyes. I want Storm Shadow. They give me some beachhead. He doesn't get a lot of action. That was my favorite character. But I'm trying to watch this. I'm like, oh, here's that character. But, like, they all just get one line because they're going to try to stuff everyone. But none of the old characters really play a big role. I mean, even Cobra Commander, he's a snake for half of this film, wrapped around a blind roadblock. And that's such a small part. I'd be upset if I was eight years old. I want to see the characters that I love, that I own
1: toys, for. I want to clarify. What I said was I thought finding out Cobra Commander's background would have been very exciting for me at 8 because that's what I desperately wanted. But yes, what you're saying here is exactly what I would have felt when I was 8 and what I feel as an adult. There's too many new characters. It is hard for me with an adult brain to keep track of who is who here, let alone an 8-year-old who doesn't have that great of an attention span. This would have been sensory overload and I don't know how anyone could have done it.
2: You know, I was almost 12 when this came out, and I watched it, like I said, debuted on a Friday night. It was kind of like a big deal because we hadn't really gotten any new G.I. Joe in a little while. And just like Hasbro intended, this was supposed to kind of be a mini cliffhanger of sorts and kickstars into Season 3. That would never happen. And as an 11-, 12-year-old Arnie, I had no problems understanding who these people were. I knew the universe so well from watching the show that you take ultimately really only, I don't know what, 12 new characters. Yeah, not a big deal. I mean, that part wasn't the problem. My response to Cobra commander was like, Oh my gosh, Cobra Commander's actually gone. He's a snake now who has no intelligence left. I don't care what he was or who he became or what his background was. He's not coming back. What are they going to do if Cobra commander doesn't come back? That was my reaction. Now, We later find out what happens there, but that's not important right now. If you watch the show up to this point, you're used to, hey, a new season, and here's a bunch of new people that you've never seen before.
1: I'm going to disagree with you, because
2: remembering
1: the show as I do, in the old show, just about everyone would have an episode, where if you had new characters, two or three at a time would be introduced in an episode which revolved around them, their backstory, their skills, and their trials and tribulations and their powers. Here. You say you didn't have trouble as a kid keeping up with 12 new characters. Maybe not in a generic, I'm just going to watch the screen and consume what's happening kind of way. But 12 characters on top of however many returning characters we have in a movie that, thank you G.I. Joe Wiki, has 84 characters. Now, yeah, that's only two-thirds the number of Transformers the movie, but 84 (laughs) characters, I mean, we're... Talking a kid's cartoon, not Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, folks. Twelve new characters is a hard enough juggling act ensemble to follow, let alone mixing in 72 others in the mix. In the end, yes, I'm with Jacob. The ones you want to see, the ones that if this was in a theater you paid admission to see, they get the shaft. And these twelve new characters are ill-defined and clutter the screen. It's a bad way to tell a movie. A great way to sell some toys, but a bad way to tell a movie. But this all just leads to the third Cobra attack on the Joes. Cobra's more effective in this one movie than they've been in three seasons on television. And they get the BET, and while Serpentor is fighting Falcon, and he has this, I'm not even going to ask, I don't want to know how he takes... Literal snakes and turns them into spears of death. Is it unlimited snakes too? Like he shows two around his neck, but like <laughs> they
3: just repopulate. This is like Optimus Prime's trailer, like just disappearing. Isn't there like in negative verse it goes into the same place with these snakes?
2: <laughs> well, it's awfully biblical, but yes, the snakes turn into a staff. But whatever. But.
1: Duke jumps in front of the spear intended for Falcon
2: and takes it through the chest. Yeah, it's a pretty bad shot. I mean, you know, Duke obviously was killed in that scene, right? I mean, how could you survive that, right?
3: Like, that is not a small wound. There is rivers of blood coming out of that thing.
2: (laughs) And it went right in the heart, presumably, based on the positioning.
3: It looks close to the heart, if not in it.
2: And
1: tough guys don't cry when someone goes in a coma. Tough guys cry when their good friend dies.
2: (laughs) Well, it's very well known that this was animated and written to be Duke's death. As I said earlier, the Transformers Optimus Prime death said, no, maybe we shouldn't do that to Duke. Now, I will argue, though, killing Duke isn't like killing Optimus Prime. I mean, Optimus Prime was it. Duke wasn't always the man on the screen. I mean, Flint had a lot of screen time as a leader of G.I. Joe. General Hawk was in the limelight a lot, etc., etc. Wasn't the same thing. But they literally had to go back and redub some lines of, not he's gone, but he's in a coma. As if Scarlet is trained to make such a assessment. Maybe he just passed out. But oh no, no, he's in a coma. Reminds me of
1: Monty Python. Only a flesh wound. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I
3: find so funny in this fight too, you know, Duke goes down, he's in a coma. How does Cobra Law get the BET? Dude, a giant bat just flies over and swoops up and takes it, right? Why do they need a fight if they got a giant bat?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And they got these big worms that come up out of nowhere. I mean, this is like G.I. Joe versus Godzilla.
1: (laughs) I do feel that this is a big change. I was thinking more along the lines of He-Man and the kind of things Skeletor would throw at them. But yeah, I had always thought of G.I. Joe as a somewhat science fiction based military tale. It was in the future, it definitely was not completely realistic, but it was military, and here, this is not a military problem. Yes, clearly not.
3: (laughs) I do wonder, we brought up how this is more fantasy. I haven't seen a lot of Xena, but I know she has her,
1: yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah, yeah," call, I mean, is this a riff off of, Cobra, la, 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 la. Like, who thought that was a good idea for the? I mean, yo Joe is corny enough, but Cobra, la, 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 Like, Serpenter, I cannot respect you as a badass when you're saying that.
2: And, you know, there's so many good alternatives. I mean, he could have just said Cobra, la, and just carried it out. But no, the la, 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 like it's a chorus line or something. No one ever responded to that well. I mean, the question was, who thought that was a good idea? Not the writers. But Hasbro, Cobra Law was like a placeholder, because it was like some takeoff of uh, Shangri-La. Cobra Law, hey, that'd be funny. Good placeholder until we think of something better. And apparently it was Hasbro like, hey, you know, we kind of like that. Keep that. And the writers and consultants were like, really?
1: (laughs) Yeah, bad choice. Cobra Law is silly. It makes me think of a Christmas carol. (laughs) Cobra Commander is a snake. Cobra la 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 (laughs) la la. But finally... The new recruits and apparently some other Joes go to get the BET back. And here is where, Jacob, what you said earlier would really ring true. Because here I'm like, where's Hawk? Where's Scarlet? Where's Snake Eyes? Where's Mutt and Jeff? None of them are here. No, everybody who does anything cool here is either brand
2: new or... Perhaps contractually obligated. And, you know, it, this will probably be a little bit of something we talk next week. But, yeah, you know, Snake Eyes was never huge in this TV universe. He had his moments. I guess maybe they just didn't know what to really d- to do in a TV show with a guy who doesn't talk. But before watching this for this retrospective, I had to really scratch my head if Snake Eyes was even in this. And the answer was, you saw him, but he really wasn't in it.
1: He had no line. <laughs> he never
3: does. <laughs> They're always screwing him out of his lines.
2: Yeah, the the voice actor got paid pretty well though. (laughs) If you think of anyone on the Joe team that could just like go mess up Nemesis Enforcer, who you'd think of right now is like, yeah, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow could just tear the guy up. Yeah. Not in this universe. Instead, it goes to Sergeant Slaughter, and the fact that Sergeant
1: Slaughter is given so much to do right here is what made me absolutely convinced he was brand new to the Joe universe, because only new people get to do things in this movie. (laughs)
3: Yeah, Sergeant Slaughter and the Renegades, they take out the Pterodrome. They defeat the Cobra single-handedly, and I love it because Falcon's like, let's do it without any weapons. And then they just go and take Cobra's weapons and blow it up anyway.
1: Yeah, they do a wonderful weapons-free stealth operation. And of course, with any stealth operation, the best thing to do is holler Yo-Jo at the top of your lungs every ten seconds. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I guess that's part of G.I. Joe. I don't know. Maybe in the Marines you will semper fi every 10 seconds while you're doing a secret mission. I don't know. You got to get your catchphrases in there.
1: Yeah, later on, Duke's dying. His last words aren't, I love you, brother, or I forgive you. It's, yo,
3: Joe. <laughs> but yeah, as a kid again, I want to see all the Joes just tear apart the terror Nope, just some new people walking into it. Well, screw you, Duke and all the rest of those old people suck
2: then. These new guys could just do it right off the bat. Yeah, if it was that easy, why didn't they do it all along? Now, the, the one thing about Sergeant Slaughter, he's still relatively new as a toy. He was like a mail-away promotion and then later came with a tank. It had been late 86, so he's probably new enough that you still want to keep marketing his action figure.
1: He gets stuff to do, Falcon gets to stop the spores. Does Cobra Commander die fighting a snake? I mean, he was devolved into a snake. He becomes a heroic, saving Falcon, who consistently apparently needs saving from Serpentor snakes, but Does he die?
3: I'm wondering that, too, because in a movie, we find out what happens to Cobra Commander. Does he get put in a zoo? Does he get turned back into a kind of human Cobra
1: Law person? Does he go with the mentally challenged
2: acrobat and the talking snake?
3: Did he show up in the Deke series as a snake? And did they show him revert back to human? Like, did they ever resolve this, Jerry?
2: Yes, actually, they did. The One of the first things that the Deke series did was go right into this. Apparently, Cobra Commander was being kept as a pet for, for Serpentor. <laughs> did he become one of Serpentor's next snakes? He like just keeps him for fun, I guess. You know, a reminder, whatever. And Serpentor's got this little plot that Baroness is sort of like trying to go back to the old ways, so she frees Cobra Commander, the snake, and turns him back into the man snake sort of thing. And that's where he gets that silver armor battle suit that they marketed in the late 80s, early 90s. So, uh, okay, yes, they do resolve it and they put everything back to normal in what is arguably one of the worst animated series runs of G.I. Joe ever. I mean, the Dig series was pretty bad. It's cheesy and funny to laugh at, but it's not a good animated series. But at least they undid this movie. So I'll give it some points right there.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, Nemesis Enforcer, who I will put it out there my favorite new character is Nemesis Enforcer and he gets off by Sergeant Slaughter and even Pythona gets killed by the clumsy ninja Jinx
3: well no cuz she blinded herself so now she's a good ninja Sergeant Slaughter okay he's still kind of new Falcon Jinx like these are your heroes of a GI Joe film I'm still saying if I'm an 8 year old kid this is bull crap I'm not
2: liking this You remember when I said that they didn't come back and do this third series, right? (laughs) (laughs) There are themes that are pretty consistent with what happened in real life. (laughs) This never returned to this supporting cast.
3: This is it for Big Lob. He's not sinking any more three-pointers. So they use the BET to fry the spores. This is how they finally defeat him, which is weird because they needed the BET so the spores would shoot out, I guess. You just don't want to microwave it too long. It's like popcorn. It starts going all black and smelling bad if it goes too long. <laughs> but then there's remaining spores that just burn up in the atmosphere. Were these just like really small ones that would have burned or Were the other ones bigger and they wouldn't have burned up? This is crazy. Like they're watching these spores that are going to turn them into ape men again. And they're like, oh, look at it. It's so beautiful as they burn up in the sky.
2: I think we've established the physics and science basis of this particular movie is... Is non-existent, yeah. So whatever it needs to be to create like a final little romantic moment between Jinx and Falcon is worth doing. And likewise,
1: you could be stabbed through the heart with a
2: snake and go into a coma and be okay. Yet they didn't say he was able to walk or remembered his name, but he's just not dead.
3: He may just be a vegetable. The exact
2: <laughs> line is he's okay. I take
1: that as non-vegetative, non-crippled... <laughs> If there had been a third season, he would have been back in it and he and Falcon would look at each other going, well, we're both here. It's almost as useful as those twins that Cobra has. They do the exact same thing. They could finish each other's sentences.
2: Well, Ed And Duke was fairly prominent in the Deke series in 89 and Falcon was in two episodes of that series and that was it. And even in that episode, he kind of became a drug addict. <laughs> Maybe that's a discussion for a different podcast that that we don't do. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with the don't do. So Jerry, Jacob,
1: do you recommend G.I. Joe, the movie?
2: Jerry. I remember watching this movie in 1987 when they talked about it and starring Don Johnson. And I wasn't a big Miami Vice fan, but I knew who who he was. And hey, that's pretty big. This is going to be cool. And I have seen, prior to this retrospective, prior to preparing for this, I've seen this movie exactly two times. One was that night they showed it, and then later when they would rerun G.I. Joe's every day after school, they eventually took this movie and broke it down into a five-part series so that they could do a Monday through Friday thing, and then they did that at least once. And I never went back to this movie. I mean, as much G.I. Joe's I've consumed and watched, I've never went back and watched this movie. I knew why I didn't go back to it. I mean, there's no way I can recommend this movie to anybody. I mean, if you're a G.I. Joe fan, you already know to avoid it. But if you're wanting to kind of get into G.I. Joe because these movies are coming out now, and the 09 movie, and then here's the new one, hey, should I go back and see this one? Absolutely not. It almost literally ties into nothing else in the G.I. Joe universe. It doesn't explain anything really that comes after it. It doesn't utilize the things that come before it really well. It's not the military-type battles that really gave G.I. Joe its support. You know, whenever they went into Season 2 and you had these really colorful, bright, early 90s toys where things were bright yellows and pinks and pastel blues, that's where the G.I. Joe fandom kind of died down a little bit because they wanted them to be military action figures. This movie, I think, started putting it in that direction. So, absolutely, a, a not recommend for me. I'm a big fan of the G.I. Joe from this era but it stops here. This was the jump in the shark moment for certain. Jacob?
3: I didn't see this when it first came out as a kid. I remember seeing parts of episodes when they would replay it, they'd break it up into different series. I definitely remember seeing Blind Roadblock and the snake wrapped around and wondering, is that Cobra? What's going on? This is weird. But, you know, I just catch it every once in a while. I think it was maybe when I was like 21 when I actually rented this film for the first time and watched it. I was getting back into Star Wars collecting and, you know, revisiting all these things from my childhood. I'm like, I'm going to watch that G.I. Joe movie. I've never seen it proper. I finished it. I'm like, huh, that was definitely different. And I come back today and I rewatch it for the second time ever. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of different. I think we've all nailed that This is not what you would expect with a G.I. Joe film. It's just way too much fantasy. And it has all the flaws of those 80s commercialism television shows where they want to sell you new toys this isn't about a film this is a 90-minute commercial and they want to throw as many characters as possible the problem is i don't get my favorite characters you know i'm the lapsed joe fan i still remember a lot of these characters when i see them Oh, quick kick and beachhead and all these different characters that i loved as a kid had the toys but they don't get to do anything so as an eight-year-old, I'd be frustrated because they don't have my favorite characters. As a Laps Joe fan, I'm frustrated because it's not a good nostalgia trip for me. And, yeah, the story's a mess. Yo, Joe? Uh-uh. This is no Joe. Not recommended.
1: <laughs> As for me, I am not the G.I. Joe fan, so I have no allegiances to these characters that this movie can trounce on and upset me for.
3: All 84 characters. Yeah.
1: I do have memories of enjoying the show. I remember a handful of characters. It's more recognition than recall. As I'm watching this, I go, oh, yeah, Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah, Scarlet. But I agree that on that nostalgic level, this movie did not pay off. And that's not what this movie was intended to do. This movie was intended... To introduce the new team, not to be a greatest hits of the old team. I think we're going to get to playing on our nostalgia next week when we talk about the new movie. So when I watch this, my question isn't, do my old favorites get enough to do? My question is, how well do they introduce the new ones, and is it an intriguing story? And I'm going to say that yes, it is an intriguing story. All told... I do not have a problem with this story. It doesn't feel very G.I. Joe-ish to me, but again, we're taking it to a new chapter. Apparently a monster movie chapter, but a new chapter. And again, it had some good payoff. Cobra Commander unmasked. G.I. Joe under a new leader. The coming-of-age story of Falcon. Cobra under a new leader. And sure enough, when Mickey grumbles... You're gonna go. I really expected him to tell Cobra Commander, you're gonna shit lightning and crap thunder. So... It had some good things. It had some really bad storytelling, though. As I've already mentioned, I feel the pacing was way, way off of this film. The way it introduced new characters was ham-handed and confusing. There were just too many at once, and so many of them end up with absolutely nothing to do. Watch the movie twice. I still can't tell you what Big Lob did that justified his existence. I remember him on the training field at the beginning, constantly narrating his own moves, and that's about it. He never had a figure. Maybe I can rename Big Lob to Big Pass, because that's how I feel about this movie. But the final question I have is, how does it compare to Transformers the movie? And it's nowhere near as bad as that Drek. This movie, I'm mostly ambivalent about. It has enough storytelling flaws that it never really drew me in, but it also never made me hate it. And so, if the measure of success is how you compare to your brother, it's a success. But it's still
2: not a recommendable film. So this movie's Duke and Transformers the movie is Falcon?
1: Yeah, and I don't know where My Little Pony
2: is... You are insane to put this movie above Transformers the movie. I mean, it at least played in the universe properly, you know? I mean, it gave you characters that you could follow into a third season, right, wrong, or indifferent. I
1: can't believe you're saying that. I'll tell you, the only tipping point is that Transformers had a good soundtrack, and this movie didn't. But... That's not enough to save Transformers from being a worse movie than this. It simply is even worse than this with this introduction of new people and the way it just shits upon the old ones by literally throwing them into a molten pit.
2: I specifically emphasized how prior to this retrospective I've seen this movie twice. And once wasn't even really... Of my choosing. It just happened to be the episodes they were playing that time. If you remember from the Transformers 86 retrospective of that, that podcast, I have seen the Transformers movie countless times. I mean, I, I couldn't even guess how many dozens and dozens and dozens of times I've seen that movie. I can't believe you're making that comparison. I wonder if you're too close to it. I honestly
1: just wonder if that because of what this did to Joe Cannon is why you think this is worse, but there is no way from a filmmaking perspective, from a storytelling perspective, you can say this is worse than Transformers. I could agree with they're both equally bad, because they both have that same choppy style of animation that just does not deserve theatrical release. This didn't get theatrical release. But from a narrative standpoint, and from a payoff standpoint, Joe is better.
3: It's been a while since I've seen that Transformer animated film. I watched these two films back-to-back when I both saw them for the first time. And I I remember... I was much more forgiving for that Transformers film than I was for this G.I. Joe film. This one just goes all kinds of crazy. Forget about Sharkatrons or whatever. This whole Cobra Lot thing is just too weird for me. It strays too far. And you know what? I was never a big Transformers fan, so maybe that's a different. I didn't feel as tied to that series. You know, it didn't rub me the wrong way like this one does.
1: I really do think, Jerry, that may be part of your hatred for this. Not that this movie deserves a recommend from anyone, but that... Your comparison against Transformers may be directly related to, they're both bad movies, but this one is bad in ways you can't forgive.
2: No, because I would never, never call Transformers a bad movie. It's not bad, relatively speaking. And, and you know, as, as a kid, loved both properties. I, I wanted to love both movies. Transformers, what they did with it grabbed me, and what G.I. Joe did here just went off the rails. I couldn't forgive it because I think it was too different in the universe.
1: I think you just proved my point. You just agreed with me because you said Transformers, it stayed in the universe and didn't betray your feelings for that universe and the characters, whereas Joe did. So you may be too close to them to be able to critique them as films and not part of multimedia franchises.
2: It's not that I had some endearment for Transformers to where I'd forgive it, and I didn't have an endearment for a G.I. Joe to where I wouldn't accept it. I had endearment for both of them. Fundamentally, one worked, one didn't. But you said the storytelling of this one's better than Transformers. I don't know how you can even get to there. I mean, if you really plot out what happens in this movie in some logical order, it is ridiculous. Re- ridiculously out of whack there's no storytelling here that has any redemption whatsoever
1: agreed and it's still better than transformers the movie (laughs) so jacob jerry thank you for joining me we will be back next week with what i hope is a better movie when we finally get to the live action film to start building up to gi joe retaliation coming out in theaters late next week So now you know, and knowing is half the battle.
0: Yo, Joe! Technically, G.I. Joe does not exist, but if it did, it'd be comprised of the top men and women from the best military units in the world. The Alpha Dogs. When all else fails, we don't. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. It's time to go bye-bye or boom-boom! Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another G.I. Joe film. Now that's what I call a challenge. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. Well, whoever you are and whatever this unit is, I want in. In the archive section, you can find our reviews of the Transformer films, Star Trek movies, the Avenger films, Rambo, Rocky, and more. And all at the push of a button find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. This I command. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Okay. Now that we're all close friends, let's head for the slaughterhouse. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. We all go home or nobody goes home. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com.
1: You will all come with me now.
0: Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. So what's your fee? Snakes don't give for free. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Emperor needs us, Commander. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. And it itty bitty ditty bag. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Can you get the word out? No sweat. Then do it. Now Playing's G.I. Joe retrospective series is edited by Ray, Jeff, and Arnie. Their capabilities are beyond anything we've ever encountered. Credit narration by Brock. Bravo! Bravo! You are as
3: impressive as ever!
0: Now Playing is non-affiliated with Hasbro or Paramount Pictures. G.I. Joe is a property of Hasbro and Paramount Pictures, and no infringement is intended. We were set up right from the start. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated.
1: But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, am I?
0: Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I have something I need to do which goes against all orders. So if any of you decide that you have to leave now, I will certainly not hold it against you. Boom. Grab my ankles.
1: Duke jumps in the path of Serpentra's snake spear and falls into a coma. Boom. Boom. Grab my ankles. She breaks into the Cobra headquarters and reveals that. All right, are we gonna pronounce this globulus? Golobulus, I think it was. Golobulus? Golobulus, yeah. Golobulus. You can just kind of, you could just kinda of mumble it like they do in the movie and nobody knows. <laughs> so so as if I was giving instructions to a tennis player, go lobby this. Yes. it. okay. Grab my ankle So Falcon is sent to train under Sergeant Slaughter with other troublesome Joe recruits. They're called the roughnecks, right?
2: Sergeant Slaughter's team? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, no, the the Renegades. It's Renegades. Yeah, it's the Slaughterhouse Renegades, yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. I kept getting confused with Rico's Roughnecks. Whoah! Yeah. N- no, the the Raw Hides
3: are the new recruits for the Joes and then the Renegades are Sargent Slaughter's. Keep your toy line straight.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Grab my ankles! The Cobras need to steal this BET from the Joes. I don't know why they had to
2: steal it. I mean, it's on cable television, the BET. I mean. <laughs> That's an Arnie joke.
3: Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought you'd appreciate it. <laughs> I, I was waiting to make a BET Television Network <laughs> joke myself. Grab my ankles! Well, they should have brought him charges a lot sooner. This guy's been screwing <laughs> up for a while.
1: And he led them there. It's kind of like when Jar Jar led the Jedi to Utagunga and then was put on trial for clumsiness.
3: I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Ring devolved into Jar Jar's trial um
1: let, let me bring right, it back let's, let's blooper that let's not keep that <laughs> in the show I'll just bring it back to where we were okay please do grab my ankle! the stakes You. hold on I don't know who this
2: is and there have been emergencies lately
1: but it's probably somebody wanting to lower my credit rates hello? hello?
2: it's sergeant slaughter on the line alright
1: it was, I guess, a wrong number.
2: I thought it was maybe a Sergeant Slaughter trying to recruit you to the Joe team. You'll be codename microphone. Either that or no dos <laughs> Caffeine. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make I, I, little file cards for us sometime? Yeah.
3: Grab my ankle! Who the hell are these new people? I want Snake Eyes. I want Storm Shadow. They give me some Beachhead. He doesn't get a lot of action. That wasn't
2: my favorite character. Do you like teeth but... with your beachhead? <laughs> Give me some beachhead. That was great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll take Roadhead. You know, all of it. Anyway.
1: Roadhead, put away wet.
2: <laughs> um. Grab my ankle! My Little Pony never officially had any problems. It just was victim to Transformers. It might have been a fine movie. I, I don't know.
3: The bronies are a big deal. They get their own conventions. Jerry, anything you want to tell us?
2: (laughs) Not a brony, I guess. No. (laughs) Although I will be a Joe Con in a couple weeks, and I am pretty excited. (laughs) (laughs) Be sure to tell lots of people about Now Playing. (laughs) Indianapolis, April 5th. Come find
1: me. Grab my ankles! Where's Snow Job? The one who's definitely named after a sex act. (laughs) Do you like teeth with your Snow Job? It's a callback, folks. Grab